Well, they are moving to their seats. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles of whatever variety you brought to Luke chapter 1. Eric mentioned Luke a few moments ago, and I'll be speaking a bit about Zechariah and Elizabeth. wish I could read a little bit more, but this will be long enough as it is, from verse 26 through 55 of Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> This is the Word of God, the revelation of God to mankind, to all the world. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to to her from the Lord. And Mary said, this is the, what's called the Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry 
with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Amen. Let us pray. We certainly rejoice, we who believe the message that we have heard, the message that you spoke through prophets and apostles, and Mary herself being like a prophet and speaking the Word of God. Lord, what joy there is at the announcement of the coming of Jesus, and what joy there has been for all the days that we have walked with Jesus, we who were given faith to believe strength to follow the the word of god lord it's all about you and we would give you glory this day and always lord as this new year approaches as it does always this time of year we'd ask again for more strength more repentance more humility more joy more love more a, a stronger pursuit of all the good that you have for us, Lord, that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. You grant to us our daily needs, even as you have this day, and we thank you for Jesus. Lord, give to us your word, and may you be blessed forever indeed, for you are the one who fulfills all his promises to his people. And Jesus is the amen and yes. Amen, indeed. Well, one of the wonders of the Christmas season, every time this uh, time of year, is hearing even those who do not trust in Jesus as Savior praise Him and sing His glory as the Messiah who came into the world through the singing of Christmas songs and carols You can turn on the radio or even in the streets or perhaps you get carolers come to your house. I don't know if people do that anymore. But it seems that all the world or much of the world sings to the glory of the the coming Savior, the one who has come as Savior and Lord. Perhaps a a foretaste of, of that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And yet... Confessing Jesus as Savior and singing Christmas songs and carols when the heart is proud and self-exalting and unbelieving, that's not knowing the Lord. That's not faith. Those who celebrate Christmas and sing songs about the Messiah who came to earth and yet are unbelieving, they sing with blinded eyes or with a veil covering their eyes. They know not that about which they sing. A consistent teaching of Scripture is there is no one who knows the Lord except for those who humbly receive Him by faith and believe the Gospel. Mary prophetically sang, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and exalted those of humble estate And Psalm 69 says, when the humble see it, they shall be glad. So the humble circumstances into which Jesus was born are known by almost all the world. 
certainly all of the country. They're on display in manger scenes everywhere in various places. But the fact that only the humble can know this Savior is understood by much fewer people. And that knowledge is on display really only in the hearts and lives of His own humble people who live and walk by faith in Christ. One thing I love about the Christmas story is that Mary and Joseph not only provided the humble circumstances into which Jesus was born, their own material poverty, their own journey to Bethlehem, no room in the inn, giving birth, to, you know the story. They not only provide the humble circumstances into which Jesus was born, but they also illustrate the humble faith of those who truly know Jesus. There's a famous song in the last maybe 10 or 15 years, Mary, did you know? I'm sure you've all heard that, right? And while certainly much was unclear at the time of Jesus' birth, at the time of this announcement, yet Mary believed the angelic message. Verses 31 and 33. Verse 45 says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She knew that God was about to fulfill His promise to Abraham and to David. Many, many years had passed and God was coming into, breaking into the world again. And so some of the details of the story, if they were not so familiar, they really ought to surprise us and cause us to have wonder and great joy. Many Christmas carols speak so eloquently of this. So let us consider some of them. In the earlier announcement of the birth of John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know this well, of course, this same angel, Gabriel, he came to Zechariah, who was a priest, a Levite, serving the Lord in Jerusalem. And so really, as you think about that, that's not all that surprising, not for Hebrews, not for those who know the Old Testament. A divine messenger coming to a priest, a holy man of God, in the city of David. But this time, the same angel, Gabriel, comes to a woman, and not to a man. And he comes to Nazareth, and not to Jerusalem. And the announcement of the birth of the greater man, the son of David, is set in much more humble circumstances. And it is by divine, divine design. Notice the similarity of form. Eric actually alluded to this a few moments ago. The angel came and announced to both the favor of God. It was a little bit uh, maybe discreet or a little bit uh, not quite so clear to Zechariah. Uh, the angel announced the favor of, of God's answered prayer. 
The Lord has answered your prayer. You will have a son. But to Mary, the message was clear. Gabriel comes and calls her favored one. Oh, favored one. What a greeting. Oh, favored one. And she declares, you have found favor. You have found grace with God. That sounds a bit like what was spoken of Noah many, many years ago, back in Genesis, when the author said, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's a bit of a biblical clue that something very special is about to happen. God is about to do something very special. The second clue is that in both cases, the angel said, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, there's only one reason to not fear when in the presence of the Holy Almighty God or even in the presence of heavenly being. Because God is about to act redemptively on behalf of His people. You remember, and as you read to the Old Testament next year, you'll, you'll see these stories. These Old Testament battles when Israel was facing a, a far greater foe. And they were trembling in fear. And the Lord would say, do not be afraid. Because why? Because Jehovah God was about to deliver His humble, lowly, impotent people who otherwise would be destroyed and defeated before their enemies. The source of fear is sin. It's true. The first time in Scripture that it said that man was afraid before God is following Adam and Eve's treasonous act in the city of God, if you will, the garden. And when God came seeking Adam, he hid himself and he said, you remember, I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked. His sin brought shame, and shame brought fear. See, people sometimes put on the facade, and I will call it a facade, of pride and arrogance before other people, and we live amidst an arrogant people, for sure. But when standing in the presence of a holy God, we can know only our complete bankruptcy, our nakedness, our unworthiness, our sinfulness, our poverty, our shame, our faults, our moral and spiritual bankruptcy. And so as a result of sin, the truth is that every person lives with many fears. And so when the angel appeared before Zechariah and Mary, the sight of him caused them to tremble in fear. Because really our, our, our shame, our, our knowledge of our unworthiness, our lowliness is really never below the, far below the surface. And the sight of this holy messenger, perhaps in some light, brought into their minds this unworthiness 
and standing before the glory of even Gabriel, this heavenly messenger, they were afraid. And so the gentle assurance of the angel was very welcome, I'm sure. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's the first words of the gospel announcement. It really is. Do not be afraid. Because God is about to act redemptively. To save His people from the grip of certain defeat and destruction. And from fear and shame. God Himself will cover your shame. Even as He covered Adam and Eve in the garden with garments that He Himself provided. So He will take away your sin by His own redemptive acts. Do not be afraid, dear ones, because God acts redemptively to save you in Jesus. He will save your life. And that's why when Jesus came to sinners, Jesus the Son of God, even in His humble form as a man, in apparent human weakness, even when He came to sinners, His first words were often what? Do not be afraid. Because the Gospel is the message that Jesus Himself will cover our shame with His righteous robes. The garment of salvation that the Son of God will provide. For He is the Lamb of God slain for sinners. He is the Son of David as well. He's the shepherd and king of Israel. You remember that back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I think it is, that the Lord promised David that he would have a son whose throne would be established forever. And there's an allusion to that here in our text this morning. And that son was Jesus, who in a human nature was the son of David. But it would not be as many would imagine it, as they might perhaps anticipate His coming. And so the announcements of Gabriel were were shocking. Shocking, really. Not just by the fact that God was, again, breaking into human history. God was speaking after four, we can't imagine, 400 years of silence, of no prophetic utterance, no word of God, no thus saith the Lord. Not just that, but in how He would fulfill His promises. Because the the coming of the Son of David would be unlike anything anyone might anticipate of the birth of a royal heir. Not to speak of the coming of the Son of God. And the birth narratives display that so clearly and so plainly. Mary was a nobody. Eric said she was a young woman. We suppose that she was probably about, you know, as as a, a woman betrothed, engaged, about to be married, promised to Joseph, maybe what, 15 or 16 years old? 
She was a nobody. Well, except in Joseph's sight. And Nazareth was no royal city. You remember that when Philip told Nathanael that Jesus of Nazareth was him of whom Moses in the law and the prophet, the Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, he replied, that famous reply, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you serious? Nazareth? Nazareth was perhaps like, I'll pick on my own little city, Villarica. You know, no one's going to claim that Villarica is some great city in America, right? Kings and princes don't come to visit Villarica. Nazareth was just some nothing place. And so the entire setting seemed like the very contradiction of the announcement that the Son of the Most High God is entering human history and the world of men. And so Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle, and read him if you have not, he wrote, Let us admire the amazing condescension of the Son of God. The heir of all things not only took our nature upon Him, but took it in the most humbling form in which it could have been assumed. It would have been condescension to come on earth as a king and reign. It was a miracle of mercy passing our comprehension to come on earth as a poor man to be despised and suffer and die. And so Jesus came in lowliness and really in, in weakness and poverty to show that Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the powerful. He didn't come for the wise. He came for who? Sinners. Those filled with fear and shame because they know their nakedness before God. And yet sinners who receive Him, don't run and hide. They, don't, they are not puffed up in some self-exalting pride and, and arrogance and unbelief. They receive the message with humble, obedient, self-denying faith like Mary. Like Mary. It's a shame that the Roman Catholic Church sort of distorts this woman because she is a, a great picture of a humble believer. And I love how she asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She was an unmarried woman. A virgin. How will she conceive a son? She didn't have a husband. She was pledged to Joseph. She had accepted him, but they had not yet come together as man and wife. So how will this happen? What was the Lord asking? What was the Lord saying? And so the angel explains in verse 35, Mary would be passive in this conception. The Holy Spirit would come upon her in some miraculous and incredible way to cause this conception, this miracle to happen. There would be no physical act. There was in the case of 
elderly Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had come together in their barrenness and conceived a son, but not so with Mary. Mary's purity would not be violated. Joseph would not be the father, nor would any other man. Mary's son would be the son of God. He would be the only begotten of the father, as John put it. So consider some of the things that the Lord was asking Mary to believe and to do. The first thing is that she would become pregnant without a man being involved, without a human act. Impossible. Crazy, right? Well, nothing will be impossible with God. A virgin shall conceive, the Old Testament prophesied. The Son of God shall enter our world. The prophet's words shall be fulfilled, and sinners can be forgiven. Mary immediately believed there was no hesitancy. No, well, let me come back and think about it. Give me a night or two or a week. Well, I'm really not so sure about that. No, her immediate faith is an example of how we should respond to the gospel message and to the revelation of God's word. She believed. She did not doubt. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And these wondrous words, let it be to me according to your word. Again, J.C. Ryle, nothing is too hard for the Lord. There's no sin too black and bad to be, for, to be pardoned. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's no flesh too hard and wicked to be changed. The heart of stone can be made a heart of flesh. There's no work too hard for a believer to do. We may do all things through Christ strengthening us. There's no trial too hard to be born. The grace of God is sufficient for us. There's no promise too great to be fulfilled. Christ's words never pass away. And what He has promised, He is able to perform. There's no difficulty too great for a believer to overcome. When God is for us, who shall be against us? The mountain shall become a plain. Faith never rests so calmly and peacefully as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. We lay our head on the pillow of God's almightiness, the God who can do the impossible. And so Mary, or rather God, also asked Mary to believe that God the Son would take on human flesh. Impossible, right? No. The Word shall become flesh. The eternal Logos shall take on human flesh. Robert Raymond, who I got to know late in his life, a great theologian and Bible teacher, wrote, by means of Mary's virginal conception, God the Son, and we, and we recite the Apostles' Creed, God the Son, without ceasing to be what He is, the second person of the Holy Trinity, 
the eternal Son and Word of God took into union with His divine nature in the one divine person of the Son, our human nature, and so came to be with us as Emmanuel. That is what God was asking Mary to believe and what He asked us to believe. That the eternal Son of God took on human flesh without ceasing to be the eternal Son of God. That He in fact had two natures, divine and human. And therefore is the only one qualified to save sinners. God was asking Mary to believe that. And He asks us, do you believe that as well? And He was furthermore asking Mary to submit herself to probable humiliation and criticism and maybe even the loss of Joseph. It was up there in your text from Matthew. You know the story well when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and he knew that he as sure as heck hadn't been with her. That, well, justice says I should break my promise. I can't marry this woman. She is impure. She is violated. Until he heard from the Lord and was persuaded otherwise. Well, it wouldn't have been only Joseph who thought this. Many years later, in one of our Lord's Jesus' many disputes with the Jews, they said this, We were not born of sexual immorality. Like you, Jesus, born of an immoral woman, a whore, basically. You're not even the son, the legitimate son of Joseph, who you call your father. And so God was asking Mary to be subject to a great deal of criticism and judgment, perhaps being ostracized. Who knows what she went through? Because a young woman's reputation was everything in those days. We have very strange ideas in our modern days about promiscuity and being with the opposite sex outside marriage in whatever kind of relationship. But in Mary's day, you'd be shamed for life or immorality. And Mary did almost lose Joseph again, except for that angel intervening. Inter- inter- intervening. And yet she was willing, willing for the sake of humble obedience and faith to be used as a vessel for the glory of God. I just love her response. There's probably perhaps nothing in Scripture more humble and submissive. No words more beautiful in their purity and love than Mary's, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. In all that your word implies, in all that your word commands, in all that your word involves, let it be to me 
And so, dear ones, when you ponder the, ponder the humble circumstances of Christmas, of the coming of Jesus, ponder also the humble, submissive faith we must have to be among God's people. If you are proud and self-exalting and unbelieving, you are not among God's people. He didn't come for the wise, the powerful, the rich. He came for the poor. Only the poor in spirit will have will inherit the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus came in humility and meekness. Came as a no one. It seemed many missed it. From Nazareth? Really? Teaching in Galilee? Seriously? Having just a few disciples, not some great, well, the crowds did follow him for times, but just a few disciples, most of which, um, the crowds, most of which them left at some point. Who would be impressed by this Jesus? But yet he spoke the Word of God, and He did the works of God. He came sinners to save. So don't celebrate Christmas and miss the Christmas message like many do, singing their songs on the radio, that Jesus came in lowliness to save a lowly people, a humble people, a people of a broken and contrite heart. A people dwelling in darkness, but yet who have beheld a great light. And so the humble will be glad. As Mary sang, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. This is the joy of Christmas. Jesus gives a place with Him, the King of kings, to those who have no place among men. And so Les and I were discussing a few days ago the Christmas music that we would play and the, and the uh, brass would play. And I said, Les, we have to sing joy to the world. We have to. Because when the humble receive Jesus, they will be glad. Our hearts burst forth in joy and gladness and praise. Because Jesus came to save the lowly. And in Him our sins are forgiven. And we, even we, become heirs of heaven with Jesus. Joy to the world. Our King has come. Amen. There is just no other news so great as this good news. That Jesus came in lowliness for a lowly people. Many missed it. Though they sing the Christmas message, their eyes are blind. 
but not ours because you have opened our hearts, O God, and we are here this morning with open eyes and open ears and open hearts and an open mouth to say that Jesus is Lord. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the righteous one. He is the one who died and was buried and rose again. Sinners to save. And He is our confession. And let us live boldly, if meekly and humbly, for our places with you. So let us be lifted up by this message, just not just this season, but always as it abides in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 